up up hither so we have what solid it's also pronounced solid you know whatever whatever okay so anyway um, so I still have a box load of these bad boys so uh, two bucks a piece yeah I will I will give you $5 bill? I got yeah. from Sam today. Yeah, I'll give you a two and a half of these for a $5 bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll work. That'll be work. That'll be work. All right, all right, all right. Do you want one or two? <laughs> I want two. I want two and a half. Out okay, all right. Done. Done. I will have half one made for you. And I will get it to you somehow. Yes. Yeah, that'd be good. Sure. You want to throw it to her, even though I'm walking past you? Okay. All right. Okay. Oh boy. So, so make sure you guys. Um, I, I have a ton. So two dollars a piece. You know, use them, um, abuse them, rip them in half, sell them to other people. I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to be worth something someday. You know. I mean, how could they not be? Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yes, excellent, excellent. Okay, so don't forget about that. So if you want to bring some cash and get some, uh, get some of those gators um, for the solid gators, then you can have some. All right, so just want to remind you guys of that. Okay, so tonight, tonight we're continuing in our How to Study the Bible lesson, our Bible, How to Study the Bible series. Okay, so so far, give me a recap. What have we done so far? What are the two rules we've talked about? Context and people. Whoa, 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 wait now. <laughs> All right, what do we got? Context. Context and? People group. People group. So someone give me a good summary of context. The words before it. And? After. 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 Yes, exactly. So the words immediately before it, immediately after, the verses before it, the verses after. What else? The books before and the books after. The books, but don't forget the chapters before and the chapters after. Yes, the books before and after. Never mind. The never minded before and after. Yes, absolutely. Where that book sits within the whole Bible. Is that what you're going to do? Okay. All right. What was yours? Yeah, historical details. So you have the near context, you have the remote context, and you have other contextual details that kind of help you out what's going on. Now, why is context important? Yes. Context helps you understand it better? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people that are in false doctrine, such as you believe you can lose your salvation, that you need to be baptized in order to be saved, you believe that you can speak in tongues. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on in churches today where they take verses completely out of context, and then they end up believing in false doctrine. And some false doctrine will lead people straight to hell. So you have to really be careful. You have to take God and His Word in context. And the same goes for you and I. I don't like to be misrepresented. I know you guys don't either, uh, but it has happened before. All right, people groups. Give me a good summary on that one. Yep. Okay, so basically it's just the idea that um, the Bible was written to different groups of people in different time periods. Mm -hmm. So um, only, I think it was like Romans through Philemon are actually written to church age believers. Yes. And so even though, like that doesn't mean we can't take things out of the other books of the Bible by any means, but if you have to be careful about doctrine because the doctrine's very different for them. Yep. So... Yeah, good, 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 yeah. I think you, I don't remember how you worded it, but you said something like, the Bible is written for everyone, but it's only written 
to like certain people or something like that. Yeah, only portions are written to us. So all of the Bible is for you, but not all of it is written directly to you. And that's very important. So you have a good chunk of the Old Testament which are written to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. There are some books in the Old Testament that are written directly to Gentiles. And then there's parts of the books uh, of the Bible that are written specifically to the church. And God only sees three people groups. Take all of humanity, God divides them into three groups. Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Those that are Jews and Gentiles that are born again are part of the church. And once you're part of the church, you can't go backwards again. We talked a little bit about that last week. So that's very important because there's some passages of Scripture that are intended for Jews only. There's other passages that are intended just for the church only. So even the Jewish people can't take parts of the book of Romans and apply it to themselves. They can't do that. Now, if they get saved, they can because then they are no longer a Jew. Now they become part of the church. All right, any other details? Good? All right, sweet. Okay, so we get to talk about one tonight that I thoroughly enjoy. This topic for me, uh, this factor, this rule, really has helped me um, with really the entirety of the Bible. There are things growing up in church that I've heard stories of when it comes to Adam and Eve, Noah, uh, you know, a bunch of Old Testament stories, um, even in the future when it comes to the tribulation, that I just couldn't reconcile in my own heart, in my own mind. Um, you know, I don't know if you have been this way, but for me growing up, it was almost like, okay, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone's sins, right? Like everyone. What verse would you put for that one? There's a few. In the Bible. John 3.16 is one of them. Yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. What else? Any other ones? One of my favorites is 1 John 2.2. 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So everyone, so when Christ died, when God died on the cross, he died for everyone's sins. That include Adam, all the way to the last person that's on the earth. I mean, everyone in between. He died for everyone. And so growing up, it was almost like, okay, so did like, I mean, was Adam saved? Was Eve saved? Was Abraham saved? Like in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course they were, right? Because we hear all these Bible stories and they were men and women of God. And so are they saved just like I am today? How does that all work out? Because Christ didn't die then. So there's things that, that false doctrine kind of weasels its way in because people take parts of the Old Testament, which we mentioned last week with people groups, and they apply it to the church period and vice versa, where it's like, well, maybe I can lose my salvation because David said in Psalm 51, like we looked at last week, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So maybe the Holy Spirit can be taken from me. Maybe I'm not eternally secure. And then you, look, you read forward in, during the time of the tribulation, which we'll look at a little bit later, and you'll see, well, if someone takes the mark of the beast, it says that they're actually going to go to hell. How does that all work out? So this, this whole topic tonight really helped to clear everything for me. Now, I had to chew on it for a bit, but what I'm going to give you is just basic information that should help you really get your hands on the whole of Scripture. And it's referred to as dispensationalism, dispensations. And so this is called the dispensation factor. Now, for a lot of people, dispensationalism is almost a cuss word. <laughs> um, but really, if you're going to study the Bible and you're going to study it in a literal fashion, if you're going to want to understand the scripture, you will find out that dispensationalism is biblical. You can't understand the Bible literally and not become a dispensationalist. It's not possible. If you take the Bible as it is written and you believe it as God wrote it, you will become a dispensationalist. But for a lot of people, that is just a, it's a bad term that's out there in Christian circles. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely biblical and uh, you want to be on this side of, uh, of the game. You've got to be on this side of the game if you want to be someone who loves the Bible, takes the Bible literally. Okay, so let's talk about it a little bit. 
All right, so the dispensation factors. So the Bible has divisions. The Bible has divisions, generally associated with time periods, but not always. Uh, it's something that I've actually, as I was looking to this a little bit more, um, it is generally associated with time periods. So you can go within the, the history of humanity and you can say, here's where a dispensation began and here's where it ended, but not necessarily. There's some exceptions to that, uh, which we can spend some time talking about if we have like four or five hours, which we don't. But well, generally it's associated with time periods and you'll see what I'm talking about here in a little bit. So it is a, the Bible has divisions, generally associated with time periods, in which God, God does things a certain way. And 2 Timothy 2.15 is our verse for this one. I love this verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, with this verse in your Bible, I love it how God puts us in here. He says, first of all, to study. We mentioned this last week. Every other translation of your Bible that's out there removes the word study except for the King James Bible. So the King James Bible is the only Bible that's out on the market that actually says study, study. Everybody else changes it completely. And so it says to study, to show thyself approved unto God. And that makes sense. If you want to be someone who's approved of God, that God looks at you and says, well done, you did good, it's because you studied his word. You actually found out what he was talking about and what he wanted you to do and you did it well. So you studied his word and a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So not only do you study it, but you work it out. You're a workman. You take those things that you've learned and you do something with it. So that way when he shows up and you see him face to face, you don't have to be ashamed. And then it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So this verse tells you that the Bible must be divided. If you're going to understand it properly, there are proper divisions that you must have in your Bible to understand things correctly. If you rightly divide it, then you're going to have sound doctrine. But this also means that you're going to wrongly divide the Bible. There's the risk of wrongly dividing it. And if you wrongly divide it, then you're going to end up in some serious, serious false doctrine. And the good thing is that God makes these divisions very clear in the Bible. You just got to know where to look. It's like, I know you guys love ELA, right? Who loves ELA? Woo! Some of you are like, mm 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 <laughs> Okay. But one of the big things with ELA, language arts, reading, writing, all that fun stuff, when it comes to that subject matter, if you don't understand what's going on in the whole story, how well are you going to do on the test? <laughs> You're not going to do very well. So it's the same thing biblically speaking when it comes to doctrine. If you are not going to understand what's going on in God's word, you're going to fail the test. It's the same sort of thing. So unfortunately, for those of you that really have a hard time with language arts, I'm sorry, but you just got to do a better job. You got to study. You got to study harder maybe. All right. But here's the deal that you can rightly divide it or you can wrongly divide it and it is completely up to you, but God makes it fairly simple. So let's talk about the definition of dispensation. All right. So let's divide this up. This is every time the word dispensation shows up in your Bible. So give me one, two, three, four readers. One, two, three, four. All right. So you do 1 Corinthians 9, 17. You can do Ephesians 1, 10. And then Ephesians 3, 2, Timmy. And then Gavin, go ahead and take Colossians 1, 25. So the, the word dispensation shows up in your Bible. It's four times. And we're going to read every instance of that. So 1 Corinthians 9, 17. Go ahead. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Okay, so there it talks about the dispensation of the gospel has been given to Paul, all right? 
So a certain thing has been given to Paul. Now listen to Ephesians 1.10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Okay, so the dispensation of the fullness of times. It sounds like it's not there yet, but it is coming. But there comes a period where God's going to do something. Okay? Very simple. And then Colossians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3.2. Read that one, Timmy. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, Lord. Okay, and that's the dispensation of the grace. We're talking about the gospel again towards us being born again in Christ, if you read within the context. And then Colossians 1 25. Well, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And that one's talking specifically about how we are going to be indwelt with the Spirit of Christ later on in that chapter. So this dispensation, it's, it was God's and it was given to Paul. And you can find out some other things. So if you were to take these verses, compare it to a good definition, here would be our definition. Dispensation is an economy or a way of doing things. A certain household order. A division within time where there is a specific way things are to be administrated. God will often dispense truth a certain way during dispensations. So an easy way to understand this is a certain household order. I really like that term. So the rules that I have in my house for my family and how I want my family to be administrated is not the same as with other families. There might be similarities. There might be some things that we have in common among other families, but your family, there's a certain household order where things are going to be done. I mean, I even had this discussion with my kids on the way here, that there were certain things that I expected of them, and they weren't clear about it. So I made it very clear. And so then I said, okay, now that you guys understand what I expect, if this happens again, now you're going to be punished. It's very similar. So I set rules and boundaries that I don't want them to cross. But my rules are not the same as like Andy and Jamie's rules. They can't be the same. I have a 10-year-old. They do not. You know, there's other things that they have in common. Same thing in your, in your household with, with the, the phase of life that you guys are in. You guys are teenagers. How, how weird would it be if, like, the rules that Andy and Jamie have for Logan would be applied in your household for you as teenagers? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's a little weird, you know? Like, Logan can't drive. <laughs> he is not legally allowed to drive. <laughs> so there are certain things that you can't expect from one family to the next. And that makes sense. God does the exact same thing within the scope of human history. What he expects of one part of certain people is not what he expects of another, and not what he expects of another, and not what he expects of another. How can he? How can he? One example that we're going to get to is Adam and Eve. Think about it. What does God expect of you during this time period, during this dispensation? How are you right with God? Salvation, Salvation through faith in Christ. Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and the resurrection. All right, all right. So, so, yes, if you, if you believe that God came in the flesh, that he died for your sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, defeating sin and death, and you place your faith and trust in him alone as your substitute for your sins, God's wrath is appeased, and you are right with God, and you are born again. Okay, rewind it. Okay, Adam and Eve. Adam, you must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ye shall be born again. Right? They're like, okay, 
One question. <laughs> um, who is Jesus? Why did he have to die? No, what did God expect of Adam and Eve? Eve Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it, have dominion. Okay. How is that anything close to what we have to believe in order to be right with God? It's not. So God did things differently at different times. So hopefully this is going to help you kind of make things click a little bit. Adam and Eve were not looking forward to, the, to Jesus dying. Now, God having grace and mercy upon them in their sin could only happen through what he was going to do in the future. That is absolutely true. Because Christ died, when he died on the cross, he died for Adam and Eve's sins. From the very beginning, he died for their sins. But they knew nothing about that. And God never talked to them about Jesus. And he said, you must believe by faith and be bored again. And he didn't say that at all. He didn't start talking that way until John chapter 3. And even then, he didn't die. And he wasn't buried. And he didn't resurrect again. It was something that he was going to be doing at a future point in time within just a few years of talking to Nicodemus. So you just have to recognize that there are times where God does things different. He didn't require us. He's not going to even say, okay, all right, Brandon, in order to be right with me, you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, <laughs> subdue it, have dominion. <laughs> I mean, okay, like he didn't do that, all right? So can we at least all agree on that, right? Okay, so there are differences. God did things differently, and we'll talk about why uh, here in a little bit. Okay, so there are an economy or a way of doing things, a certain household order. Now, um, the next point here, the Old to New Testament is the most common and obvious dispensation division in the Bible. The Old and New Testament. So your blank there is OT and New T, or Old Testament and New Testament, is the most common and obvious dispensation that's found in the Bible. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 real quick. Real quick, real quick. I'm thinking of Tim Hawkins, sorry. Just real quick. All right. Hebrews 9. And take a look starting in verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Which, by the way, if you guys were here this past Sunday, this is exactly what Pastor Tom just preached on. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it to the pure of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the what is that? New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they, uh, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was declared without blood. And then Moses goes to talking about him. So there is a first testament, and then there is a new testament. Another good illustration of this is that my wife and I have a last will and testament. So we have a legal document that dictates what happens with all of our stuff and with our children after we die. What is 
It's at home um, in my safe. All right. Okay. All right. I don't see you breaking into my house tonight. But I'm telling you, that last will and testament, that last will and testament means nothing as long as I'm alive. Or my wife is alive. But if something were to happen, and we, like, we got it done right before we were going on a mission trip, because, hey, you never know. I mean, the plane could go down. And I don't want my kids to be put in a situation where they're relying upon a, a judgment from the courts to see what happens to the custody of my kids. I don't trust the courts. So I want my word to be carried out. But that document means absolutely nothing until after my death. So when Jesus was here and he was preaching about being born again and he was talking about the fulfillment of the law and all this stuff, none of that was in effect until after he died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. So that's where the New Testament came from. And that New Testament, according to the book of Hebrews, is much better than anything that the Old Testament had to offer. I mean, we don't have to offer sacrifices and, you know, the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and all that stuff. We don't have to do that. And the reason why we don't have to is because Jesus died for us. So that's something that you can see right here is a very clear distinction of the dispensation. Okay, so let's talk about this now. So now that we've got our definition down, um, any questions on that? Any points of confusion on anybody? Got it? All right, sweet. Okay, so let's talk about this. So we talked about the definition. Now we need to talk about the seven major dispensations. Okay, so there are seven major dispensations in the Bible. There are others that are more minor, but if you were to take the Bible and you were to divide it up, there are seven major dispensations. So I created a nice little neat chart for you guys that you can have and you can take a look at later. But this was something that when I worked through on my own, I actually went into my Bible and I actually marked all these divisions. So if I were to go in my Bible, in my Bible I chose the color orange. So I have right here in orange the dispensation division. And I went right in between the verses and I put, okay, eternity past, which is also one of the minor divisions, into the first one, innocence. And so that's what we're going to talk about, the Edenic or the age of innocence or this dispensation of innocence. This is where it began. And as you work your way through, I come across Genesis 1, 2, 3. And then at the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, I have the end of the dispensation of innocence. And now it's the beginning of the dispensation of conscience. So as I'm reading through my Bible, I know, okay, I'm approaching the end of one dispensation and the beginning of another. Now, one way to tell where the dispensations begin and end is that dispensations begin when God shows up to a certain person or to a group of people and he unveils to them what he wants them to do. He starts to give them a new household order of how things are going to be run. He showed up to Adam and he said, okay, be fruitful, multiply, don't eat of the tree, and have dominion. He told them what to do. And then that began the relationship. But then once they sinned, now that dispensation had to come to an end. So every dispensation ends with failure because that dispensation is now over and now God is going to do something new. So let's walk through this and you'll be able to see the big picture. Okay, so here's the first one. The Edenic, or the dispensation of innocence. So this is the six days of creation to the fall of Adam and Eve. So it spans Genesis 1-2 through Genesis 3-24, the last verse in chapter 3. And here's God's requirement of man. This is the parameters that he laid out. This is the household order. By faith, refrain from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, that was basically it. There were some other things, but by and large, that was his big requirement that he, that he asked of man. And because they didn't do that, then they fell into sin, and now the relationship with God is now broken. Okay, so after that's done, now you have a new one. It's called the Adamic, or the Age of Conscience, or the Dispensation of Conscience. So this one lasts uh, 1,656 years, and it spans from the fall of Adam 
and Eve to the time of the flood. So it takes you from Genesis 4 through Genesis 7, verse 10. And what God required of man was by faith maintain a relationship with God by way of conscience. This is where a sacrificial system began. And this is what God showed Adam and Eve. Because you can see this. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent beguiles Eve. She takes of the fruit, gives unto her husband. He follows her in sin, and now they both are defiled. They realize that they're naked, and they end up making um, fig leaves. They make clothes out of fig leaves, and they cover up their nakedness. God comes down in verse 8, and it says, and, he, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They never had to hide before. They never even knew they were naked before. And now all of a sudden their eyes are opened. They find that they're naked. They find these fig leaves and they cover themselves up and they go hiding. God comes down because this is what he does. He wants a relationship with them. And now he can't have one. And do you really think God didn't know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. He wanted them to admit it. And to come out and be vulnerable. And that's always a problem that we have between us and God. But that's what he desires. So they come out. And then, of course, Adam does what Adam does. He turns around and who does he blame? Eve. But God, the woman you gave me. <laughs> and then what does Eve do? But God, it's a serpent. <laughs> serpent, what did you do? Okay, my goodness. This is what happens like every day in our house. You guys did it too growing up. Well, we went with them. Oh, no. Okay, you accept responsibility for what you did because you were wrong in the matter. Yeah, but no buts. Accepting responsibility. We have a hard time. We pull Adams and Eves all the time. And so here they start blaming everybody else. And then God shows up and he judges correctly. And he lays out what the judgments are going to be. But then take a look at this. In verse 20, he says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. You find out from Proverbs 27, verse 26, that God took a spotless lamb and he killed that spotless lamb to cover their sin and to make them new garments that would cover their nakedness. Oh, so beautiful. So from this moment on, Adam and Eve would have seen that. What we did didn't cut it. What did God do? And he covered us and now we're accepted. So going forward, they would teach their boys and any, anyone else from their lineage, you need to sacrifice unto God. If you offend God in any way, shape, or form, if you disobey Him, if you sin in your heart, you better go offer a sacrifice. And this was the sacrifice that God offered for us. You go do the exact same thing. So this is where sacrifices actually began in Genesis 3, verse 21. So this would have continued during the, the, uh, the dispensation of conscience, where this would have continued. And during this time, they basically have to listen to their conscience. So by faith, they maintain a relationship with God by way of conscience and also through a sacrificial system. Let me show you another verse that really helped me with this. Go to Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33. Job 33. Job 33. So the book of Job takes place um, during this time in human history, uh, or so we believe, somewhere between um, 
Adam and Eve, and as things continue through the book of Genesis, it's either going to happen before the flood or after the flood, but really this similar parameters before and after. But in Job 33, you find how God works among men. I love this passage. Job 33, take a look at verse, um, let's see here, 27. Job 33, verse 27. So he is talking about God the Father. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. See, this is what was going on during this time in human history. If any person was willing to say, you know what, God, I've sinned. I have not done what's right. It didn't profit me. I was wrong. Then God's like, all right, awesome. I can accept you. But this is the hard part that we have in our heart between us and God. So I really like this verse here, these verses here, because it really shows you how did this age of conscience actually work? Okay, you sinned against God, you admit it. And if you admit it, and you go to God and you acknowledge it, and you do whatever He asks, then you'll be accepted. I love that. So that's a great passage to hang on to. So that's the, uh, the dispensation of conscience. And that would take us all the way up to the flood. And then the third one is the, the dispensation of human government, or the Noahic, Noahic. Um, covenant uh, at that time. It's also a covenant and a dispensation. So this one lasts about 436 years and it spans from the end of the flood to the time of Abraham. So by faith, God required uh, a relationship with God through conscience, believe God, and get in the ark. If you wanted to be saved from the flood, that's what you had to do. Unfortunately, only eight people obeyed that one. And so those are the ones through which God began this new dispensation. By way of conscience, believe God and get in the ark. And that ark wasn't just for Noah and his family. It was for anyone who was willing to go in. They just weren't willing to go in. And so that takes us on to the fourth dispensation. And that's the Abrahamic or the dispensation of promise. Which takes us from Genesis 12 through Exodus 24 and verse 8. Lasts about 430 years. It's Abraham and his lineage to the time of Moses. So what did God require of man during that time? By faith. Believe God's promise and obey. That's it. That's all God asked. By faith, believe God's promise and obey. And for Abraham, it was very specific and for his lineage. God was going from the entirety of humanity and now he's focusing on a single family through which he's going to establish a nation. And so Abraham and his household, anyone that wanted to be part of his household, could believe God. And by faith, they believe in God's promise and they were to obey anything that he asked them to do. And you can see that in Genesis 12.1, Genesis chapter 22, and Romans 4, verse 3. And then moving on from there, we have a good chunk of our Bible here, and this is the Mosaic Dispensation, or the Dispensation of Law. This lasts about 1,526 years. It goes from Moses, the Exodus, and the Law, until the death and resurrection of Christ. So this is the majority of your Old Testament. It spans from Exodus 24, verse 9, through the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So by faith, believe God and obey the law. Again, he's not talking about Jesus at all during this time. Not at all. Like, not even one time when God's talking to Moses did he mention Jesus at all. At all. Nothing about being born again. Nothing about being sealed with the Spirit of promise. Nothing about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Nothing. Nothing at all. And so what did he do? What did he, do? he gave them a law, and he told them to obey the law. And not just obey the law, but obey Him by faith. And because you love God, you will keep the law. So again, it is by faith. 
And then the one that we're most familiar with that most Christians take and then they apply to the whole of the Bible, and that is the dispensation of grace or the dispensation of the church age, um, also referred to as the Christian time period. So it lasts about 2,000 years. It goes from the death and resurrection of Christ to the rapture of the church. And so you can see this in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19, and it goes all the way to Revelation 4.1. And we talked about this a little bit last week, where you have Revelation 1, 2, 3, and then you have the rapture of the church happening at the end of chapter 3, which is our Laodicean church period, and that's where that dispensation ends. So during dispensation, we know this one very well. By faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your substitutionary sin sacrifice. Romans 10, 9-13 talks about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Who can quote that one? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by? Good job, class. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's a verse that we're very familiar with. Are you snapping? Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. yeah. <laughs> All right. Amen. Amen. So, <laughs> so, so by faith, believing that it's through Christ and Christ alone. Let me show you a really good verse. I thought this was really neat. So, when did the church age begin? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, all right, so we just quoted 8 and 9. 10 is really good too. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And then he begins to explain this, this process called the church. And so it says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, because you're not Jewish, by that which is called the circumcision, or the Jews, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, remember that Mosaic law, everything you find in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both, Who's the both? Who's the both? Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Both unto God in one body, also called the church, by the, what is it? Cross. By the cross. So the moment that Christ died on the cross, that's when the church was born. That's when it was born. Now, did Peter know about that at the time? Did the disciples know about that at the time? No. They had no, no clue whatsoever. In fact, it's not until you get to Acts, uh, I want to say it's 19, Acts chapter 19. That's the first time that the word Christian even shows up in your Bible. 
So they knew nothing about that. So God began something, boom, at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the church began. The law is now done. It's over. And now I have this new thing, the church, and now it has begun, even though they didn't really understand it. And God slowly revealed it through Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's the first Gentile that actually gets born again and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And then you finally, they're called Christians first in Antioch. So God slowly reveals that. They couldn't understand that completely. And that makes perfect sense because how many years have they been under the law? On your paper. Yeah, 1,526 years. That's, uh, let's see, that is, uh, a long time. <laughs> that is a long time. So they're used to all these rituals and traditions and sacrifices and feasts and all this stuff. God's not going to be like, all right, guys, okay, everything you've been doing, just stop doing that now. It's no longer valid. Like, he doesn't work that way. He's very gracious. He's very merciful. He knew it would take time for people to understand what he was doing and how he was doing it. And so we should be just as gracious towards people. When people get saved, especially out of a life of sin and craziness, we should be patient with them. Their life is changing. It's not all of a sudden, boom, and now they look like Jesus. Like it, like it doesn't happen. I wish it would happen that way. But it doesn't happen that way. And God knows that. All right. So that's the age that we live in right now. Now, this next one I don't have numbered, but just for the sake of keeping things in order, I wanted to put it in here because there's a lot of questions that people have about this one. So where does the tribulation period fit? So the tribulation period, God does do things a little bit differently. So he does things just slightly different. During seven years, uh, it begins after the rapture of the church and it ends at the second coming of Christ. So it lasts from Revelation 4-2 through Revelation 20, verse 3. And during this time, if you were to look at these references in Revelation 12-7, 17, 14, 12, 19, 10. In order to be right with God during that time, you have to, by faith, keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that also means not taking the mark of the beast as well. And that's clearly outlined in Revelation 13. So by faith, during the tribulation, for someone to make it through and to be right with God, that's what they need to do. They are not born again as revealed in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and in John chapter 3. Uh, there's nothing about them being sealed into the day of redemption. During that time period, things are going to be a little bit different. They still have to trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Messiah, but they have to keep the commandments of God and have the, have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that is not my opinion. That's exactly what Revelation 12, 17, 14, 12, and 19, 10 say. So if you're going to believe the Bible, that's what people have to do during the tribulation in order to be right with God. And then the seventh dispensation is the dispensation of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So this is after the second coming. It lasts about a thousand years. Christ's second coming in his, a thousand, in his thousand year reign to the great white throne judgment. And this takes you from Revelation 20, verse 4, to Revelation 20, verse 15. And during this time in human history, they have to, by faith, keep and do the commandments of God according to Revelation 22, 14. So they're going to physically see Jesus on the earth, seated on the throne in Jerusalem, and they must do that in order to be right with God. So once you take a step back and you look at these seven dispensations, it starts to really help you to understand, oh yeah, like... The things that Adam and Eve had to do over here is not what I have to do now. 
And we're not under the law like Moses gave in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. I'm under something different. And it's not going to be the same as like in the tribulation because I'm not going to be here. And then the millennial reign of Christ, I'm, I've already been judged and everything's over. So it really kind of helps you put your hands around the entire Bible and how God does things differently at different periods within human history and requires things of people at different times. Okay, that is very, very broad and probably about as simple as I can make it. Is there any questions about that? Like anything at all? It might be a lot to process for some of you guys. But is there anything at all? Any questions that come out of that? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I was just trying to figure out um, when it talks about the Mosaic Law and they still have like the sacrifices in place and stuff. So since the millennial is kind of similar where it's keeping and doing the commandments of God, will they have sacrifices then? They will. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they will. So, and this is why at the very beginning, and this goes a little bit deeper, but this is why at the very beginning where I said that the Bible's divisions generally associated with time periods, the only true exception to that is during the millennial reign. So during the millennial reign, all of the dispensations are active at the same time. So you might take some time to really chew on that. And the reason why they're all active at the same time is because God is dealing with the nation of Israel personally. So he's fulfilling the Old Testament part of the law. But then you have these Jews that are physically alive and remain at that time. And he's establishing the nation of Israel during that time. We, the church, are going to be there, even though our judgment is over. But we are going to be serving God as kings and priests during his reign. And at the same time, you have, I mean, it's, it's really cool, but you really have all these things almost in operation at the same time. So all these dispensations, like there's one here and then it's over until the millennial reign and then it's going to be enacted again. But it's going to be under the umbrella of the covenants. So that's where it gets a little bit confusing because all the covenants of God never end. When God makes a promise, it's not like, okay, I'm not going to make that promise fulfilled anymore you know i'm going to actually fulfill that promise so the promises that he made to uh to adam that he made to noah that he made to abraham that he made to the nation of israel that he made to the church that he made to the the um the saints during the tribulation and then during the millennium are all going to be active at the same time so this is where a lot of people get confused between dispensations covenants time periods and all that so it can get a little bit confusing so yeah that's a good question yeah so but the tree of of knowledge and good evil isn't going to be there during the millennial reign. Correct. So is the Edenic dispensation still there or not? Is it just like the promises in that aspect? Well, yeah, it would be the promises. But even like Adam and Eve at that point in time, they're not going to have resurrected bodies yet because they don't have the resurrected bodies until after the final judgment. And then the tree is actually brought back. And it's for the healing of the nations at that point in time. So you'll find that in Revelation 22, I think it is, where it shows up again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else we got? Anything else? All right. If you really think on this and chew on this, this will help you tremendously. Like, I can't tell you how much it will actually help you to understand the different facets of your Bible if you really get this topic down. It's very, very helpful. Okay. All right. Okay. Then moving on. And then we'll do some practicing. So to make these divisions, you have to know them first, which means you must obey it and, and uh, actually apply the 2 Timothy 2.15 to study and show yourself approved. When I found this information, here's what I did. For the next week, I studied this out in my Bible. Like I took these same passages and I went, I'm like, okay, let's start it off. Adam, okay, did everything that Stephen just said, did it actually make sense? Is that what happened here? Is this what God required? Huh. Yeah, and then you write it in your Bible, so that way it's clear, and then you move on to the next one. Because I took information that I took from somebody else, and I'm like, 
okay, hold on. And then I did what a Berean does, is they open the scriptures. Okay, is that actually true? And then I would look it up and say, yeah, it is true. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Oh, I don't know if that's it here. Oh, okay, I see it here. So take these things and start chewing on them because it will really help you understand your Bible a lot better. Okay, other minor dispensations. So you have eternity past. You have the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three and a half years where he ministered on the earth. You have the transition in the book of Acts from the nation of Israel to the church. So that can be considered a, a, a minor dispensation. Tribulation, which we've already talked about that one a little bit. And then eternity future, how God is going to order things and administrate things in the future. Okay, so now we have six opportunities. All right, so here's what you're going to do. Each one of these could be potential false doctrines. So I want you guys to break up in groups of six. So I'm going to get you guys in different groups. So get in groups of like three or four, and I'm going to assign you guys a number. And you guys are actually going to take these verses, compare, and you're going to see how someone could take, like with number one, taking truth from one part of the past and applying it to another part of the past. How could someone get doctrinally off when you compare those two verses if someone were to do something like that? Number two, taking truth from the, the past and applying it to the present. So they're taking a truth that was, it was absolutely true during the Old Testament, but now people are trying to apply it during the church age in Acts, Acts chapter 15 and so on. Okay, so we're going to exercise this a little bit. Okay, so where's your group? Let's just do it this way. Why don't we just do the rows? We'll just do each row, okay? You guys can group up. So you guys got number one. You guys got number two. You guys got number three. You guys got number four. You guys got five. You guys got six. Oh, it's beautiful. It was like God ordained. And then you can jump in with this group here because they only got three. Awesome sauce? Okay. All right, go to it. You got about maybe five, ten minutes max. Try to work it out, and then we'll try to talk about it. Really revelation. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Totally. No, I didn't. We're good to go. Okay, so we'll do you guys last so you guys can keep working on it, all right? Okay, all right, so let's do number one. So taking truth from one part of the past and applying to another part of the past. Genesis 1, 29, right here, versus Genesis 9, verse 3. All right, so you want to go for it? All right. Okay. So you already know, like, in um, verse 29, he's talking about, like, uh, everything veget vegetation, like vegetarians, um, like all the uh, the plant type stuff, and then in verse three it's talking about meats, mm -hmm. and so especially in like verse three it says, "Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you." So that's like talking about like everything, like all animals and stuff like that. And then um, so like if you like make a comparison, like it's um, you talk about you can't eat meat in the future, but like there's different times yeah. for like the stuff like. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Does everybody else know what he's saying? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's okay. I can take over. All right. Because we got it. We got to keep moving. All right. So God said, you're only going to eat veggies. Okay. So it was a foreign concept to Adam and Eve for them to kill deer, rabbit, 
you know, anything that, you know, cattle, none of that. They didn't have beef. They didn't know what bacon was. None of that. Oh my gosh, worst life. <laughs> so, how do you know? Maybe the leaves from some of the trees were, taste like bacon. I don't know. All right. So, but God says that you're going to take all the vegetation, the herb bearing seed and the fruit, the yielding seed. And for you, that is your meat. But then after the flood, Genesis 9 verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb, I have given you all things. So now they can eat both vegetation and meat. So I gave this example to Brandon when you were explaining it. There are some people in certain circles, even some Christian circles that believe, well, you know, you know, if you really want to be healthy, like if you really want to be healthy, you just go back and you do what Adam and Eve did. And if you really want to be godly, you go back and you're going to become a vegetarian. <laughs> no, it isn't, but that's okay. But anyway, so when you look at this, yeah, okay, sure, if you want to do that. But here's the deal. You can't, you can't make that application because in chapter 9, after the flood, God gave all meat. And then if you're going to go ahead and do that, then in Exodus and Leviticus, God actually said, well, then you need to stay away from things that you know, are, are cloven-footed. So you can't even have pork. You can't have bacon. You can't have, a, you can't have certain types of fish. You can't have certain types like shrimps out completely. Like you can't do that kind of stuff. So God changed dietary laws from the beginning all the way through the Old Testament. And so you can't take that stuff and then cross over. You can't apply it. So that's that's just a clear example of dispensations. All right? Good? <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, yeah, whatever. All right, number two, taking truth from the past and applying it to the present, Acts 15. All right, group number two, what do we got? Um, so basically, Paul and Barnabas are going around preaching the gospel. This is after Jesus died on the cross, and these guys from Judea are just like, nah, you have to be circumcised. And they're also just like, nah, Jesus died, so now we don't have to be circumcised. And they're like, I bet. So then they go to Peter. And then Peter's like, nah, they're right. You don't have to be certain you you don't have to be circumcised anymore. And that And then they're like facts and then it's over. Alright. Weird flex, but okay. So So, yeah, all right, so you have during the time where you don't have to be circumcised in order to be born again, and we don't have to speak Gen Z to understand this, and so, but there are some guys that are like, no, you have to be circumcised in order to be right with God. You have to, you have to do these things in the Old Testament law in order to be saved, and Paul's like, no, God's done with that, and they made it very clear in Acts 15. So, there's a lot of Christians that do that today. They'll take certain parts of the scriptures, and they'll drag it from the Old Testament, they'll drag it from the Gospels, they'll drag it from tribulation stuff in Revelation and they will apply it to what's going on in their present circumstance in this dispensation. You're going to have some false doctrine. Okay. All right, good. Number three, taking truth from the present and applying it to the past. Romans 8, 9 and Numbers eleven twenty nine. So in Romans 8, 9, it says, uh, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of this. So it's saying, like, if you have not the Spirit, you're not saved. But then if you go back to Numbers, um, it's talking about, like, And Moses said unto him, And be thou for my sake, would God, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. So you could take it as, oh, well, God will give people salvation by themselves. He'll give them, like, the ability to interpret Scripture, but some people yeah. So Romans 8 talks about being born again, having the indwelling of the Spirit of God. But in Numbers 11, it says God can give His Spirit to whomever He wants to. So this is where you have some charismatic doctrines. Where they'll actually apply Numbers 11 to their present circumstance rather than just believing Romans 8, which is directly to them. Good job. 
All right, group four, you still need some time? Oh, we got this. You got this? Yeah. All right. Sure. Now he's about to do the talking. <laughs> okay, all right then. I'll let you guys fight in the parking lot after. <laughs> all right, go for it. <laughs> So where it says, um, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and remain partakers of the Holy Ghost and like have tasted the word of God and everything, and then if they fall away to renew themselves again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God, and put him to an open chain. This is like truth back then because even if like they did taste it and they still had faith and everything, they could still probably have like a way to heaven. But now like if you just taste like the word of God and everything and don't get saved and you still like repent, you're still not going to have that way into heaven. And um yeah. Bars. We're right. Okay, good? Okay. All right. And again, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. It was good. This is a confusing passage. This is a very confusing passage. So this one is taking truth from the present and applying it to the future. Because remember, we talked about people groups. Hebrews is written to who? Jews. The Jews. When? Tribulation. Yes. That is one answer. It was also written by... Paul to the Jews that existed back in the book of Acts. He's trying to get them born again to be in the church. So what the whole purpose of Hebrews is, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws, all the Old Testament feasts, everything, and he's way better. So it's to convince the Jews at Paul's time right then and there to get saved. But it is also written to the Jews during the tribulation for them to trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Messiah. Okay. Now this is tough. Most people do not understand this. So if you guys can get this, man, kudos. All right? So there's a dual meaning that's here. And we talked about this a little bit in week one. Actually, it was week two, because week one was the intro. So week, <laughs> week two, the first rule of Bible study. Look at this really, cl really closely, okay? So they're talking about the doctrine of God and talking about, you know, all this stuff. Da, da, da. Okay. For it is impossible. Impossible. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if, if, that's a condition, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Okay, let's apply this to the Jews during the church age. Okay? Someone is born again. So they were enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling them. Right? If they shall fall away, which it's impossible for them to fall away, but if they shall fall away, to renew them again under repentance, because they already have the Spirit of God. Right? So this actually teaches eternal security. Oh. Now, correct. But, but, but listen, but listen. Now, fast forward into the tribulation, where you don't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, uh, now read it from that perspective. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. During the tribulation, if you fall away, you're done. 
You're done. You do not have the Spirit of God anymore because you are made a partaker. And if you fall away from that, there's no more sacrifice for you because you can't crucify Jesus again. So you actually can lose your salvation. So this passage teaches both as true depending on the dispensation it's applied. This is how amazing the Bible is. Like, right now, my mind is blown and I have goosebumps on the back of my neck because God has written such a miraculous book that He can take a single passage worded exactly the same and in one dispensation it means you cannot lose your salvation and another says that you actually can lose your salvation. Only God can do that. That is amazing to me. That blows my ever-loving mind. <laughs> All right. So, clear as mud. Awesome. Number five. Taking truth from the future and applying it to the present. Revelation 14. Um, okay, so we were number five. And Revelation 14, one says, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai and with them in 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So, um, applying the truth of the of the future to the present now would be taking that only 144,000 um, can get saved and be um, praising the Lord and um, following what He wants them to do. But um, that's not applicable to us today because um, like in John 3.16 it says that for whosoever um, wants to get saved can get saved. So um, the more than 144,000 can get saved and that's not right. right. Good. And this this comes into the form of the false doctrine of what denomination? Uh, yeah, J Dubs. J Dubs. I call them J Dubs. I want that to just spread like wildfire. J Dubs. Okay. All right. So Jehovah's Witnesses believe the under, the only 144,000 can actually be saved. All right. And those 144,000 are already saved, and it's over. So. They get that from this passage, but here's the reality. When you actually go through this chapter and you read all the way through, it actually lists literal tribes of Jews. I mean, literally, one right after the other. So that one's, that one's it's, it's pretty clear. It's to the Jews during the tribulation. All right, and then lastly, number six, taking truth from the future and applying it to another part of the future. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 and 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, he's talking about the rapture and how Jesus isn't revealed like on this earth during the rapture. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, Jesus is revealed. Because yeah, like the second passage is like the actual second coming of Christ when he comes down like on the earth and touches the ground. And um, I know there are like false doctrines where people believe that we're not raptured like until like the end of the tribulation mm -hmm. instead of before. Right. So that's kind of where like people can get this mixed up. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are people that will take 1 Thessalonians and the events that it's describing from 13 on and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 through 9 and they make them one event. That the rapture and the second coming are actually the same thing. And that is not true. If you were to study it out in 1 Thessalonians 4 and even getting into chapter 5, it talks about how we're saved from wrath. Like we're not going to go through that time of wrath during the tribulation. So it's talking about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians talk about the literal second coming of Jesus Christ and how the events surrounding the Antichrist and everything. But there's a lot of people who will take both and say it's just one event. So that's common. All right, good. So is this helpful? I hope this was helpful. Take these things, and man, put them in your Bible. Study this stuff out because it will be very, very beneficial. Any final questions on this stuff before we go?
Yes. Okay, so I was remembering how you said like during the millennial reign, like all the dispensations are active, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Um, so could you take truth from the past and apply it to the present in the context of the millennial? The, like millennial reign? So, well, some events have already passed. Like, no one can be born again because those that are born again are already born again, so no one else can be added to the body. But the body exists and it's functioning, and so in that sense, that covenant is in operation. That dispensation is in operation during that time. Um, so, so there's that. And, but then there are elements of, like, those that are a part of Israel that were in Abraham's bosom when they died, and then when Christ died and went to the compartment of hell, Abraham's bosom, and escorted them to heaven, those people are not actually going to have bodies and exist on the earth until after the millennial reign and after the judgment is done. So once that happens, then they're going to have the resurrected bodies. And that's where it's like Ezekiel... Oh, I forget which chapter it is. I want to say it's around 38, I want to say. It's the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, I want to say it's 38. But that's where it talks about the resurrection of the physical nation of Israel. So they are, their time has been, is done, but they are going to be resurrected one day. And, and it actually says in that chapter, I think it's 30, it's either 36 or 38. But it actually says in that chapter that David is actually going to be positioned as king again over the nation of Israel throughout eternity future. So he's going to have a resurrected body and he's going to sit as king where Jesus sat during the millennial reign. And he's going to rule and reign. So. So that element of the covenant will be in operation before, during the millennial reign with Jesus on the throne, but then it's going to continue into eternity future with David sitting on the throne as Israel continues. So there's elements of that that are going to be in operation. Um, Adam and Eve are not going to have resurrected bodies until then too because they have to go through the final judgment. Uh, same with anyone that existed between Adam and Abraham. Um, and then anyone during the tribulation... Uh, they also, I'm trying to think if they're, if I remember correctly, they don't get their resurrected body until the final judgment as well. So there's going to be a period of time during the millennial reign that the only people that are going to have physical bodies on the earth during that time are the Jews and Gentiles that made it out of the tribulation alive, the church, because we're going to have a resurrected body, and then everybody else is not going to have their resurrected body until after Satan launches his attack again, and there's the great white throne judgment. And then after that judgment occurs, then they're going to have a resurrected body, and then they're going to continue in eternity future. That's the best I've been able to piece things together, but it's kind of hard as you kind of compare Scripture with Scripture. But that's the, that's the, I might be wrong on some of the intricacies of that, but I really think that's how it all comes together when you look at the whole big picture. So, but again, I'm still chewing on a lot of this stuff. And we go into some of those details in JVI. Right, guys? <laughs> Yeah, all right. Well, no, I only have one class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to wait another uh, three years before you take my systematic theology yeah, class. Uh, I have an A so far, everybody, in case you were wondering. That's because you've only had one class, and you had no assignments. <laughs> so technically, you have a zero. So, so. All right, okay, let's close it down. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together tonight. 
I do pray that we take these things and really meditate and give ourselves wholly unto them. That will really help us with a lot of things when it comes to understanding your word and being good stewards and really studying to show ourselves approved unto you. Um, so help us to be workmen and uh, work these things out. And um, that way we don't have to be ashamed. And uh, we can just make sure that we're the stewards that, that you've called us to be. That we'd be able to be good ministers of the people around us, especially people that are in false doctrine. Uh, that we'd be able to maybe change their perspective a little bit and look at your word in a brand new light. So thank you again. Um, thank you for our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.